0: Open up your Bibles to 1 John 5. We've been teaching for a little bit here, a few weeks. This is number six on the glorious church, and we're going to open up and look at 1 John 5. And uh, we may be changing subjects. I know the Lord's been dealing with me about something that I believe will just be downright profound. Uh, I believe this truth is too. But you know, there's some things can be life-altering in in people uh, in various ways. And uh, God has answers for all of us. And so some people maybe have been praying. You'll get some answers today, next week. And so on. First John five, and we're talking about the glorious church, and we haven't really gone over scriptures about the glorious church, but we will today. But First John five, way back in the book of uh, the book, the right before the last book of the Bible, First John five, and it is we're going to look at verse twelve. It says, "He who has the Son, meaning Jesus, has life." He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Well, that doesn't mean natural life because we know this. When we're driving around and we see people, they're not a bunch of dead people on the ground. So it can't be physical life he's talking about. So this church that we're talking about, the glorious church, is made up of people who have life. What kind of life? Eternal life. Not a ticket to go to heaven, but we will go there. But it is actually having God's life in you now. That's what makes the true church different than any other religion. Let me slow down and say that again. That's what makes any other religion different than the church that belongs to Jesus. Even if you study world religions, they're all seeking peace. They're all seeking love. They're all seeking different things. Jesus came and didn't say, uh, Let's seek to find out where it is. He said, I am the bread of life. I am life. I am God come in the flesh. Uh, and he basically said, If you receive me, you will receive eternal life. That's huge. People need eternal life. People. That doesn't mean if you don't have eternal life, you won't live forever. It just means you won't live with God forever. That's huge. But it doesn't just change existence after you die. We were praying Friday here, because we do uh, morning prayer every Friday, and we prayed a certain scripture. And it talked about, Not only having stuff in this age, but in the age to come. So often people think what we're talking about is for later on. When you get to heaven, it's going to be perfect. It will be. But there are things that are promised now and then. So there's reality, heavenly heavenly realities that can be known right here in the earth today. I mean, really known. Even if you're around people who don't know them, you can know them and experience them yourself. And you can get other people to experience them too, so that they're not just putting their faith in the Word alone, but they're putting in their faith in the Word based on a reality. Based on God dealing with them and God working in them. And so when it says, he who has the Son has life, this is something real. You know, I always explain that uh, when I got saved in 1985, you know, uh, after I had been out of high school a few years, I used to tell people, you know, I got saved September 10th, 1985. But the truth be told, I was saved when I was five years old. I remember praying a prayer And I lived for God, but then I just went away from God. But what's interesting, when I went away from God, and I looked back at the time I moved away from God and living for God, I recognized there was a commodity of divine peace and divine life I had been experiencing as I walked away from God. And I knew there was divine life. Even though my life wasn't perfect and my life wasn't in order, there was something real there that, that others were not experiencing and I was traveling toward them. I needed to get them to travel my way, but I didn't. I relinquished my choice to the wrong thing. And uh, when I did, it didn't make God leave me, but it suppressed that divine life that was in me. And that divine life should be a real commodity when we sing to the Lord. And when we do that, we start experiencing the life of the Spirit of God. He's the one who brings that life into people when they receive Him. That's what makes the glorious church so interesting. That people in this world can be driving by on the highway and be miserable with life and all they would have to do is turn in the parking lot. They could come in here, and they would sense something in the atmosphere that would taste good to their, their soul. That would bring relief. Like if you went to, you know, let's say you had a bad mattress. Anybody ever had one of those? Praise the Lord. Anybody had a bad new mattress? <laughs> I've been there. I remember... You know, I'm going to, everybody tells you, this is the best mattress. This is the best mattress. What do you do when you want the best mattress? used to be you go to a mattress store. Now you order them online. If you don't like it, send it back. But you go to a mattress store, and you start experiencing the mattress for yourself before you buy it. And when you lay on it, you go, ooh, this is nice. People need that experience with the Lord. We're commanded to go tell them, come and taste and see. Not just come and uh, see this written thing and, and act, but we do need to see the written part. But the written part is only coinciding with the reality of who God is. And so think about it. People could be going by in discomfort spiritually, and right here in this parking lot, there is a place where part of the glorious church or the glorious church dwells. But how many of you know that many times things are purchased in life based on the recommendation of another? I, I, when I was looking for a mattress years ago, uh, people, I said, what, what kind do you got? What kind do you got? Everybody told me, sleep number. You got to have a sleep number. You got to have a sleep number. I'm like, all right. So I went and bought a sleep number. I don't have the sleep number anymore. <laughs> Hallelujah. But that's what they knew. That's what they experienced. I talked to a friend of mine who, who did the same thing. He, 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 people, you got to get a sleep number. you got to get a sleep number. He got a sleep number. Another friend called me saying, what do you have? I said, well, I used to have a sleep number. He said, that's interesting because so-and-so, our other friend, used to have a sleep number too. And he said, for the money I spent, it wasn't that comfortable. You know what got me? I went to a third world country. Slept in a hotel. I said, this is unfair. I'm here, and I'm on a bed that is better than the bed I've got at home. <laughs> There's something wrong. There is something wrong here. Serious. I'm going to go to a third world country and sleep on a bed that's better than the one I've got at my house? That makes you have a pursuit. Pursuit. You know, I'm on, in the pursuit. You know what I did? Off come the sheets. Read the tag. I want to find out what this is. You know, because, hey, it's so true. John the Baptist had followers that were following him. He was sent by God to prepare the way of the Lord. They recognized the hand of God. And what was he doing? Trying to direct them to the Lord. But some of his disciples then saw the one that he was declaring and started following him. Was John the Baptist a blessing? Sure he was. He was sent by God. But he wasn't the prime. He wasn't the real deal. And they all of a sudden went, we can have something better than we've been sleeping in? You know what I mean by that. And they started following Jesus. Jesus said, what are you doing following me? But he was the way. He was what they were looking for. You know, there is some reality just to having a better mattress. It can make life better. I'm going to be selling mattresses after I get a 10% commission. So if you, no, I'm kidding. But the truth is, there are people out there in discomfort and some of them think they're comfortable and they don't realize there's real, really, really something. I mean really something. And all they need is an invite and they can come lay on the mattress themselves. And then they can own one. And it can be in them. Are you with me? And it's real. And so the glorious church has that to offer. Here's the thing. Once you become a believer and receive Christ, that eternal life is in you. There is something about tapping into that life. There is something to squelching it too. Hallelujah. How many of you recognize? It's super easy. You come here, the Word taught, you sense God moving. You come and we sing to the Lord, you sense God moving. Do you know you can tap into both of those things on your own? Now we're ordained, there's an ordering by God to gather together, and rightfully so. But it doesn't mean you can't tap into this in the world, and then you can offer these type of things to lost people. But we can bring them to the mattress store. So next week, don't be surprised if it doesn't say mattress. Right? No, it won't. So he who has, notice how this reads. He, verse 12, he or she who has the son. Isn't it interesting? We're commanded not just to believe in Jesus, but to receive Him. When you receive Him, you have Him. And when you have Him, you have life. Because He is the life. Notice, he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It doesn't mean they don't think they're not living it up, but they don't have this life. This is what satisfies people. I lived to try to be satisfied by all different kinds of things years ago and found out you cannot be satisfied. One thing about people in the world, though they cheer and say we're doing this, they don't know what it is to truly be satisfied because there is no satisfaction to people who are lost. It doesn't mean they're not enjoying certain things, but there is no rest. There's no true divine peace in them. They may be living naturally good and having things, but I'm talking about a commodity of something you can't pay for, you can't be good enough for, you have to receive the Son. And when you receive the Son, you get this eternal life. Notice this in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, talking about the glorious church we're talking about a place where people come and gather together and God has put gifts in people. We've talked about that. Divine gifts that will produce divine results. He He put divine life in the people. And anybody who comes and wants to receive Him can get this divine life put in them and they can be made new. And we looked at all these different things. But there is another way to have this divine, uh, glorious church have stuff just working in it. And we're going to look at that today. But notice Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and the 27th verse. It says, that he might present her to himself. It's the Lord presenting her, her who? To himself, a glorious church. So while we're here on the earth, one thing when we go to meet the Lord, he's gonna, we're going to be presented to him when he appears and we come to him or go to him. We are going to be a glorious church. We are presently a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Somebody said, But um, I'm part of this glorious church. Um, I've got a couple spots, I think. I got a couple wrinkles or any such thing, but that they should be holy and without blemish. Uh oh. Somebody's like, Great, I'm in trouble. I got a couple spots, got a couple blemishes. Where's the spiritual ironing board? But notice what he said. You know, what do I do to make myself unspotted? Notice what he said, and notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, you present yourself. Notice, now we are to present ourselves to the Lord a certain way, but here it says, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that they should be holy and without blemish. These are the people that are of the kingdom of God. How do people get spotless by the blood of Jesus? By receiving Jesus, they're washed inside. That doesn't mean we're perfect in action. But when, when Jesus made his sacrifice, it covered our sins. It washed them away. Inwardly, if you read back in the, just the chapter before, it says this, verse 24. Now notice this. Now he's going to present us to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Somebody said, well I'll tell you what, I know a Christian and they're pretty spotty. They're pretty wrinkly. No, notice this. And that you put on the new man. Which was already created according to God in true righteousness and true holiness. This is just describing that every single person who has given their life to the Lord Jesus, inwardly, they've been made new. They've been created right with God. They've been created holy. We need to put that on on the outside. We need to let that be the actions of our life. See, God does look at the outside, but he also does look at the inside. One of the failures of man is to only look at the outside. People have done that and said, well, when you die, you die like a dog, and then life is over. But there's a part that goes and lives on forever. And someday God will resurrect everybody. Everybody, body, but everybody's body too. And then they'll be changed. Some will live on for eternity with God, some in eternal damnation. Not God's design, but people who refuse eternal life. That's why we need to present this to the world. But what is the key about this? This glorious church was cleansed by an act of love. Really, you could say this, the church started by God. The glorious church was an act of love to humanity. We know this. The Bible said God Is love. And love motivated God to come to the earth and die to make the church or a group of people the church and glorious. And so if true love was the driving force and God is love, then here is the thing. Love should then be apparent in the church. It should be something that we would all strive to walk in. Love is super important. Now the world will present to you, to me, variations of this love. You know, people will say, well, if you love me, you would do this or you wouldn't do that. And there's a lot of ideas about love. When I was little, when there was a newspaper that would come every week and There was an article in there or little cartoons and one of them would always say love is. And it was just a little cartoon and it would tell you what love is. And uh, I'm not sure that it was always right. Because love is swinging on a swing with your best friend. I don't know that that's exactly the Bible definition of love. So there's tons of ideas of love. I mean, you can turn on TV, go to the movies, and a guy will meet a girl, and uh, the first day he meets her, or she meets him, they got to jump in bed together, and I love you. And then they never see each other again. I don't, that's not God's definition of love. So all I'm saying is, is uh, there are a lot of definitions of love but notice this in 1 John 4. 1 John 4. A super interesting verse. Because this should make up the true church. The glorious church. Love acted on releases something. Notice 1 John 4, seven, Beloved. Let us love one another. You know, I think it's so fascinating that when we use the word love, there are actually in the Greek uh, language, there are different words that we translate love. So I could say, I love you. And somebody else could come and say, I love you. And do you know that it can mean something different? everybody out there. So when we're talking about this love, we're not talking about a worldly love. You know, we we have this city here in the United States called Philadelphia. You know, it's the city of brotherly love. Do you know that is a Greek word, phileo means brotherly love, but it can be just translated to love. But there is a love that never existed on the earth. Or was known on the earth, Jesus made up a word. Anybody have friends who make up words and you go, what did you just say? Uh, yeah, I see that hand. Um, you know, they make up words and if you hear it in a sentence, you know what it means. Jesus did that one day. He, he talked about love and he used this word agape. He made up a new word. It was, he made up a new word for love. It was a different style of love. It was a different kind of love that humanity was not used to. In other words, most people in humanity know this kind of love. I love you, you're great, you treated me wrong, I'm going to treat you wrong. And, uh, but I love you, but I'm going to treat you this way because you keep treating me like this. That's not this kind of love. Notice what he said here in the seventh verse. Beloved, let us love one another. For love or agape, not phileo, not the different different definitions of love, but this agape love that Jesus talked about is from or of God. That's where it comes from. Not the other ideas of love. He said And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Notice verse 8. He who does not love, or agape, does not know God, for God is this kind of love. God is love. You want to know God if you're a Christian? You want to get to know Him better? Learn to walk in this love. If I close out this love from me acting on it, I'm closing out certain things from God. Hallelujah. And if we want people to know that we belong to God, and I bet you everybody here has probably been through this. Hopefully, uh, you're on the side I'm about to explain. You know, when I used to work in construction, I work at different, different places. I had people say this. Well, I don't want to hear them. They say they're a Christian, but they don't act like it. Well, how in the world do people know some of these things? They're lost. I don't, I don't want to hear them. I'll listen to you, but I'm not listening to them. Well, what was it? Some of it has to do with Living according to God's love. Okay. Let me try that again. It has to do with living according to God's love. Now we need to know what God's love is like. You with me? It's patient. It's kind. But it can be straightforward too. It, there is something to God's love and it should uh, be known through us. Notice what Jesus said in, in John 13. He talked about a, a new way of life, a new way of living. And this were, these scriptures we're about to read are the kickoff of the church when He died and rose again. And right as He was going to die, He said, There's a new commandment I'm going to give to you. And he said this in John 13 34 A new commandment I give to you. And who was he giving it to? To every Christian. Everybody who had come to know him. That you love one another as I have loved you. Yikes! Like you loved me? Oh, as I have loved you. Have you ever wondered how God loves you? We should love others that way. Jesus didn't compromise because people wanted him to compromise, but he set a standard of life. He was patient with people. He was merciful to people. And people realized he just wanted the best for them. Sometimes it meant saying something maybe stern. Straightforward to the truth. But he did it out of a motive of love. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I wonder if that's something that we should ask ourselves. If people see me, do they see glimpses of the lord and glimpses of the father. John 13:34 A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you have love for one another whoa. Love is a pretty big thing. Love is a new commandment for the glorious church. I will say this, everybody who is saved, has given their life to the Lord, actually has love way deep down inside of them. Part of getting eternal life is getting love. But sometimes people don't exercise their will to walk in love because their minds have been so cluttered by other things. But how many of you, when you had that experience called the new birth, you just started wanting to be different? I remember that. I used to think, I want to forgive people. I didn't want to before. I want to to be different. I want to live different. And one of the greatest areas, and one of the people I loved the most in the Bible when I first started reading was this guy Stephen, or Stephan. But he, how he was an early convert in the church. He had given his life to the Lord, and he was really zealous, and he would share his faith with people. And, and right off, he was sharing his faith. And as he was preaching, the power of God was moving and, and dealing with people. And I used to think, I like this guy. You know, you ever read a book you never read before and thought, this is cool. As you're reading along, you don't know what's coming next. I didn't know what was coming next, but this guy, the first time reading it, I was like, I like this guy. This guy's awesome. He's just so fiery. He's willing to share his faith with anybody. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you read through the story And people didn't want to hear it, and they crowded around and said, let's kill this dude. And then they dragged him out of the city, and they gathered up rocks. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is the guy I like. He's not long for this book, you know. And I'm thinking, this dude is cool. Cool. He's just willing to share people with people and you could tell they weren't maybe altogether pleased and they drag him out of the city to stone him to death and then they stoned him to death. And I'm thinking, and I thought this, especially when I first got saved, the first person I want to meet when I get to heaven is Stephen. But you know what's wild? Is when he was getting stoned to death, this blew me away. But I recognized it struck a chord with me Because before I was saved, I didn't care about others. I didn't care what happened to them. It was more of selfish ambition. It's what can I get from you? It it, it was more of if you don't suit my needs, I may not treat you real good. And when I got saved, all of a sudden that changed. And so now I see this new convert who had a zeal. And, and I had a zeal. And then he said this, Lord, he, he prays a prayer. Forgive them for what they're doing. And rocks are flying at him. And they're killing him. And he's walking in love. I was like, you're my hero. I was like, this is the most incredible thing. If I get stoned to death, I want to do that. You know? And I don't want somebody just to hurl an accusation at me and say, you're an idiot for believing in the Lord. Well, I hope you go to hell. I don't want to be that. I want to be like Stephen, uh, who when he got eternal life said, oh, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Hey, that's a pretty big forgive them. They don't know what they're doing situation when you're about to die. And they're hucking rocks at you. And this is the way people die there for doing criminal things, and he is full out acting in love. It's interesting that one of the men or people that were there was this guy named Saul. And here Saul is, and uh, he was consenting to the whole thing. He was for this guy being stoned to death. He was holding everybody's jackets you know, you ever been there? Hey, let's play a game. Let's do this. Everybody takes their jackets off and throws them on the ground or here, you hold it while I do this. That was how it was. There, he, he's watching everybody's clothes. They take them off because, you know, if you're going to throw a rock, I mean, they're a business. They're so fired up. And then they go find rocks and they start throwing them at this guy. And right in the middle, he starts expressing agape, a love that is undeserving You don't deserve this. And man, I'll tell you what, in this context, they don't deserve it. You're getting rocks thrown at you. To me, that is one of the most profound things when you read about it in the Bible, that somebody would be so ill-treated, they cared more about somebody else's soul than their own existence in this earth. They were willing to extend something that these guys did not deserve. And then I realized, wow, Jesus did the same thing. Did the same thing. And here in John 13, 34, He said, By this all men will know that you belong to Me, that you're My disciple, if you have love for one another. And here Peter is, or Stephen is, going, Lord, Lord, Forgive them. Don't lay this to their charge. Think of the power to release somebody else for them doing wrong. Think of the power. There's huge power in this love. That that he calls out and said uh, because they'd be guilty. Because you did it to me, you're guilty. Because remember, we're not to trespass against others. They're trespassing. They're taking this man's life. They're taking it. And in love, he said, don't hold it against them. You know, there's only one scripture that I know of in the Bible that describes people praying in heaven. One group of people. People who have been martyred. And they're up there praying. And you can see it. Saying, Lord, how long until you exact vengeance on the people who martyred us? You know, that's a weird concept to think in heaven. People are, you know, everybody thinks, we just forgive and we just let things go. And we should forgive. But there was like, there's a justice that needs to be served upon the earth. And on these people who have treated us this way. I don't believe Stephen's one of those ones praying that way up there. Cuz he already said, "Lord, let it go. Don't hold it against them." But there are others up there going, "How long until you execute judgment on these people that treated us wrong?" But see, the Lord said, but Stephen said to the Lord, "No, let it go." I don't believe he changed his mind when he got to the other side. What power of love? And then ultimately one of the guys, Paul, or Saul, an angel, or really God showed, angels did later on, but at the beginning God appeared to him and Paul surrendered his life. But Paul had had this experience of knowing a true disciple before he became a disciple. I wonder if that was ingrained in him when he did finally have an encounter I want to be like that guy Stephen. You know, Paul often talked about being willing to give up his life to the Lord. He had, you know, he had seen an example firsthand about somebody who just was so dedicated to loving God. They were willing to give up their all to serve and to love and to be patient and kind with a lost and a dying world. He, he consented to his death. He held the clothes and the cloaks of the people that were stoning this Stephen guide to death and he, he heard with his own ears forgive them Lord they don't know what they're doing. He was there because right at the beginning Stephen's face started to show like an angel. Then the day comes where he's converted and often he was like I don't care if I die for the Lord. Obviously it was divine life and coming to know God That drove him that way. But there's no doubt he had an example one day. That I'm sure stuck with him the rest of his life. He sat there and watched a man be stoned to death. Brutally murdered. Who's totally innocent. And this man of this way or sect called Christianity. Ones who have claimed that they truly know God by receiving Jesus is doing something that I've never seen done before. It had to be puzzling. I've run into people who have ridiculed me. There's probably people around you that have not treated you properly in the earth. But if you're walking in love, I guarantee you there comes a day that, that there or possibly a day where they'll confront you and say, "Can you help me? I've been watching you. I've had that happen again and again." And and I've had some say, "I know I treated you wrong. I just and I, but I do recognize and I have recognized you really do have something that I don't have." I've heard that again and again, and I've heard other people tell me the same thing that were Christians that had people come to them later and say, "I've been watching you. I think we're noticeable." In the world. I wonder if sometimes people are just waiting for us to say something. I think we are. I believe the glorious church is, is, is noticeable. And I believe the, the Lord works on other people. I remember working at this one place. And this one guy. He, one day he, he just started waiting after work. And he just talked to me for a couple minutes. And he just tried to talk to me. And I remember finally, you know, he did this for a few, few times. And uh, he he said, do you want to talk to me? And I'm like, no. You know, because I'm spiritual. I'm like, no. And I was thinking it was one of those days where like you're in a hurry. You're off work and you got something to do. And I'm thinking, what are you, where are you going with this? And he said, you know, all this stuff. I'm thinking, you know, being patient and kind. I'm thinking, what stuff are you talking about? I believe these things are true with all of us. And, and But I don't think some people are as bold as this. He was desperate. He just said, you know, about this Lord thing and about getting the Lord. And he had already told me, can you come over to my house? And I knew his house was on the way to my house. And I had already told him, no. Now I'm like, well, yeah. of course, Because he's like, you know, getting the Lord. Well, now I, I'm making time. Now I'm becoming spiritual. And um, I'm thinking, but he had been watching. I guarantee you there are people watching you. And not only are there people watching you, there are people that are watching you and God has been dealing with them. And how many people... Uh, are as bold as him. I don't know that all of them are. I don't I don't believe they all are because there were others I would invite and they're like, "Man, I'm so glad you did that." By this all people will know that you are my disciples. What an example. What an example. The Bible tells us to be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference. Preference. Preference or preferring is a real attribute of love. If I love God, I prefer Him. I prefer His ways. You know, Romans, that's Romans 12.10. In honor, giving preference. If I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, I'm going to give preference. Preference. Well, I don't want to say something. I'm going to give preference. In other words, it's the opposite of selfish or self. You know, I remember driving into a gas station with this one guy, and he 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 knew the Lord tiny. You know, he'd just come in. He was real carnal. But he was, he said, you know, it's so wild, you know, how you look at the world now. Look how the world is so selfish. I'm all like, well, what do you mean? He said, look at these signs at the gas station. Self, 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 self. I said, thank you for your humor. Self-serve. It's all about self. But in all reality, there is a something about it. In other words, when I go in, they want to cut me off. Well, should I prefer them? Heck no. No. Love prefers. Now you understand, there are times where you're going to have to say, no, I've got to do this. But there is an element of preference. Think of if, if everybody got saved or a lot of people got saved, how people would work to prefer. What would, so if anywhere that should happen, it should be here. What am I getting at? Well, there's a cake donut in there, and if somebody gets to it, before I get there, no, I wanted it. No, I'm kidding. That's not it. But there is the element of preferring. And it's real. Are you with me? Remember the disciples? They didn't prefer one another. And they said, one, one of them had their mom. A couple of them had, got their mom involved and said, you know, talk to them, you know. And they, she goes and talks to the Lord and said, hey, when you get into your kingdom and uh, you get up there, why don't you put one son on the right hand and one on the left hand? And uh, Jesus said, all right, since it's a secret meeting, we'll do it. No, he said, no, you don't understand. And then he got all his disciples together and he taught them a lesson on love. He said, if you really want to be great in the kingdom, you're going to have to prefer other people. It's not going to be about you. See this little kid, you're going to have to be innocent like this kid. You're not going to need to, you're not going to, need to seek your own and try to promote yourself. You're going to need to prefer other people. See, some people are, are, are afraid to promote and prefer other people because they may miss out themselves. But Jesus said if you would humble yourself, God would exalt you. And if God exalts you, no problem. You're going up. But he said if you exalt yourself, you'll be brought down. Why? Because it's not God design. It's not God kingdom principle. It's not God's love. And so if he said we're to love one another, he taught the disciples, hey, you know, because they had a secret meeting. Hey, move me to this position. Move me up to this. When all the other disciples got together and, and for this meeting that the Lord addressed, you know, it said they were all upset. You know why they were upset? How dare them do that? Well, that could have been my place. Jesus basically shut the whole bunch down and said, um, Nope. You got to prefer others. Prefer others? But what if I don't get mine? He said, No, if you would prefer others and do things like this, uh, you will be exalted. One of the first things we need to do is prefer God first. Amen? Let's look at one more scripture, I believe Galatians, the sixth chapter. Love is a real interesting thing. This love that is from God. Don't be mistaken, there is a love that is from this world. And it may look good at first, but it will turn selfish overnight. And the motive behind it is about me, not about the other person and how can I help. And it's just a different kind of love. Think about how profound this love is that God loved the world, that He gave His only Son and knowing that there would be a lot of people that would despise his son, mock his son, turn against his son, mock him, talk about him in ill ways, believe false things and not accept him, and God still loved the world to die for all, even though he knew not all would return the thing to him. They would choose not to. And he still loved Him anyway. And didn't say, well, I'll tell you what, I'm only doing it for half the world. He said, I'm doing it for everybody. Knowing that not all people would even want him after tasting. Somebody said, well, if you could really taste, you would. I've told this story, but it's maybe been years. I knew a, a growing up this guy who um, had a, was in a car accident. And uh, he actually was in a coma and they thought he was going to die. And he was a twin, he was a twin, an identical twin. And uh, I knew his identical twin, meaning a friend of mine's parent. And he lived right on our street. And I remember this as a kid and then hearing about it later as I grew up. This guy had gotten in a car accident, was in a coma. Jesus himself appeared to him in the coma appeared to him and said, I am Jesus. You need to surrender your life to me. There is a trap set for your life and you will die before you're 30 years old. I think it was 30 or 32. I think it was 30. He said, before you're 30, you have to surrender your life to me because the enemy has a trap and in the path you're going, you will not live past that. He came out of the coma, snapped two, and here he is. He saw his wife, his brother, and sister-in-law, which I know both of them. And he said, I had an experience. I saw Jesus myself. They said, what happened? He explained the story. He, and they asked, well, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to do Nothing. This guy's name is Roy. He's, you know, what would what he mean? Nothing. You know, that would be my question. What do you mean you're not going to do nothing? I'm not doing nothing. He went back to living his life the way he was, you know, and for several years just going on and going on. One day he was at a bar. Some things happened. Uh, long story short, he basically gets murdered right before that age. Whoa. Not everybody, but he died for him and he supernaturally appeared to him. Could you imagine? Notice this in Galatians 6. He died for all, but not all are going to choose him. But we need to do our best, at least to let them know, and then have stuff in motion so when they come, they can be without excuse. You know what I mean by that? They really experience life. They really experience the Lord. But I do believe that there are people who will taste and see and go, I got to have that. Notice this, Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted... Notice what he said. If you're spiritual, you should restore. One of the great agents of love is restoration to people who have fallen. And I'm talking to Christians. About Christians. How we treat them. Notice this. You who are spiritual, restore. You could say it like this. If you want to be spiritual, be a restorer. Be one who walks in love. People who don't walk in love, even though a Christian, are not spiritual. One who's willing to lift somebody up and give them another chance and help them to get back on their feet and get going with God is spiritual. One who is not willing to do that is not spiritual. I didn't say they weren't saved, they're not spiritual. It takes a real God kind of love to help somebody back up. To build somebody back up. Because this natural world, once you failed, sorry. With God, the whole world failed. He didn't say you have to be sorry, you know, can't help you. He said I'll do something about it because he's love. Regardless if people would accept him or not. And so if we're going to be spiritual, love has some dynamics that, you know, are going to want to help people back up. In another aspect, love will reach people. If we want to be spiritual, we want to build people. That went over well. Build people, not tear them down. It's amazing what you can get out of somebody when you build them up. You can't get something out of something when it's getting torn down. But it's amazing what Jesus got out of prostitutes, failures, the low lives of society because he built them up. It wasn't that he accepted them and expected them to stay the same, but he brought life and brought hope to them and because he was presenting God, he was presenting love, and he started building them up. And it's amazing if we just don't tear people down and we work to build them up, what will come out of them? Go look at the resume of the early apostles. When the Lord picked them, he didn't pick a bunch of winners. I mean, if it was me, I'd think maybe not him. You're going to be in a faith business and you're getting this guy known as Doubting Thomas? These guys that want to call fire down and you're wanting to have mercy, maybe we should pick different ones. But isn't it interesting what he ended up getting out of them? Wonder what he can get out of us.